Welcome to Cooper Talk, presented by Walk My Mind. Bring your body, bring your mind. This is Walk My Mind, a holistic approach to wellness that connects the dots of physical, mental, and emotional health. I'm Steve Hope Cooper, and I'm your host. I'm only as hip as my guest. And uh, we, we have a great show today. We have a gentleman who uh, I've gotten to know over a few years in L.A. And it's a hell of a guy, and my guest is uh, Robert Romano. How you doing, Robert? Oh, good. How are you, Steve? Good. Now, you know, we know you as Bobbo. When, when did you get the nickname Bobbo? Has that been since when you were a kid, or was that later in life? And, and do a lot of people call you that? No, that's uh, one email. When they, when, they, when they invented email, that was my email, a.k.a. B-O-B-B-O. <laughs> that's where it started. I've, I've had that email since it started, and, uh, and it became a nickname. Steve, nickname. My kid even calls me Bobo. That, well, that's good. Your kid, it's 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 a multi generational nickname. Exactly. So uh, I don't know if you know her. Just real quick, um, I don't know if you, you follow politics at all. We see it all over Facebook. But uh, Scaramucci is is already gone. Ten days and he's left the office. Is that insane or what? Well, uh, yeah, I heard that already, and uh, yeah, I'm glad. Good, I'm glad. We don't need that. <laughs> we sure don't need that. You know. I know. So, so uh, good. I'm glad. It's... I'm glad. Uh, I, I do follow politics. I'm I'm actually kind of a, a news junkie, but uh, I really don't know what to say about all this. It's just uh, like a it's like a train wreck. Every day I wake up and it's like getting a punch in the stomach. I turn on the news and something has happened. You know, it's uh, it's amazing, really. I've been news junkie. What station do you like to watch, and what station do you think gives you the most what you want to hear that, that you know is legitimate. Because there's so many stations, you know. It's so funny, you know, leaving L.A. and now moving back to New Jersey. In L.A., when you'd watch the news, so much of it was uh, entertainment-based. In New Jersey, because we don't have the entertainment business here, it's more sports-based and then story-based. Where, where do you watch your news? What, what do you use as your news, news sources? Well, you know, I listen to NPR and I listen to... Uh, uh, um, MSNBC, and sometimes I'll even turn on Fox or CNN. I just put them on, almost like a, a background noise, you know. Uh, and I'll read articles in maybe the New York Times or the LA Times. Uh, I, I really don't know. I mean, to me, it all seems a little biased. I, I can't find anybody who's uh, who's just sort of telling it like it is, you know. Uh, everybody seems to have a bent on what they're uh, reporting, you know. So uh, it's kind of hard to sift through, you know, you're looking on Facebook and there's so much stuff and you're like, what's real, what's not real, you know. Very hard to decipher these days. So I just sort of am watching Washington and thinking, okay, I'm making up my own my own decisions on what's going down. See, that's good. Now, what is real is your career. You know, you've been acting and playing music for years. At what age did you know you wanted to get into entertainment? And and I think you started out as a musician, right? Yeah, that's right. I uh, I started out. I got my first drum set when I was eight years old, and uh, and you know up until I left, uh, up until I graduated high school and went to college, I played those drums all day long, you know, uh, for years, and uh, and then I went to college in Cincinnati and. You know, I couldn't bring my drums with me. There was nowhere to play. People would complain. I brought them, but people complained. You know, they were too loud. So uh, that's when I started playing the guitar. <laughs> and uh, 
And I've always loved music much more than I ever loved school. So after a couple years, I, I quit college and, uh, and headed to California. And my, my dream was to be Doc Severinsen's drummer. That's on cool. The Tonight Show. See, that's cool. That was they're the guys, you know. And I've become friends with a lot of drummers. I always respect drummers because any drummer you know, they always have like fifty other side projects going on, whether it's being a band or being <laughs> this. And they're always just hustling. And I think it's because they're like they're like I always think of the drummer and the bassist are like the backbone. You know, like if you follow baseball, they're like the middle infield, the second uh, second baseman and shortstop. And I always feel that yeah. the, the the drummer they never they don't get the the kudos they deserve and without the drummers the music would be pretty empty yeah well you know i'm not so sure the drummers want the kudos you know i think that's part of being a drummer is that you for me it was you know taken back surrounded by cymbals you wouldn't even know who's there and i'd get to play all different types of music because uh you know whatever guests johnny carson had on whether it be jazz or or uh or even country or rock or whatever, you know, you can play whatever style of music uh, the guest was. That that really was my dream. It was not to to uh, have be noticed in any way. <laughs> it was to sit back there and play drums, really, you know. So you don't, you don't want to be noticed in any way. You want to be a musician. How do you parlay into acting? And then, you know, your career, you got some stuff early on. What made you go into acting when you wanted to be a musician and not to really be noticed? But, you know, I mean, a lot of actors are introverted. But if you're in a role, you're going to get noticed. Well, absolutely. I mean, I ask myself uh, almost daily, why did I go into this business for a guy who doesn't like any attention? Why am I an actor and a musician? But, you know, uh, there was a time I got a job as a singing waiter. Uh, I was bouncing around Hollywood and got a job in a restaurant, and, and all the employees had to sing in between delivering ribs or whatever, you know. And uh, I needed the job, and I was really uh, shy, uh, deathly shy, really. And, uh, but I needed the job, so I took the job, and I took an acting class thinking, well, this is going to help me to get over my nerves. And, uh, and maybe the first day of that acting class, uh, I kind of fell in love with the idea that I could be all the things in life that I have a hard time being uh, right there on stage and have a great excuse to be it. You know, I could be the lover or I could be the... Uh, you, you know, the the jerk or the uh, angry guy. It could be all those things that, you know, I'd be very shy about and have a great excuse. And so uh, I found that very free and uh, really started to pursue that. What was Hollywood like then? Because, you know, now we see it with so much of the social media and to audition, you know, you don't even you don't even need a headshot anymore. You know, it's like they have it on file. You can send your link instead of sending it. What was it like back then being a young actor trying to get into the business? It must have been one time consuming with trying to get all this different different stuff done. And two, it must have been sort of costly. Well, you know, I mean, uh, back then, in order to get an agent, you would have to put together a monologue or a scene find a partner or, or do a monologue, go in and, and audition for an agent, you know, uh, go in and read it live and, uh, see if they would want to take you, you know, that there really wasn't, uh, 
I don't think you could get film really back then, you know. I mean, it was pretty rare. It was, you know, usually 35 millimeters. So, uh, you know, you didn't have reels. You you actually went in and did the, the actual work. And, uh, <clears throat> and it seemed to be, you know what it was? It, it seemed to be a kind of a nicer time in that the, the business seemed to be run by very creative people back then. Uh, and at some point, I think during the 80s, I'm talking like, you know, late 70s when I really started working. But in somewhere in the 80s, it seemed to become very corporate and it seemed to become uh, all about the bottom line and the creative guys were kind of ousted and, and everything became about the bottom line. And, uh, and that way it changed. Uh, I, I think maybe some of my favorite eras, uh, one of my favorite eras for movies is the 70s, you know. Uh, it was a really creative time for film. Now, as you're acting, you're, you're, you know, you're out there, you're taking the classes, you're getting into it. What is your first part? Is it a commercial? Is it a movie? Is it a TV show? What is the one where you sit there and say to yourself, okay, you know what? I can do this because someone sees something in me that makes me, you know, say I can keep going on. Cause it's very frustrating if you're, if you're not booking anything and it's, it's very frustrating for people. Yeah. Well, you know, they say that, that the job is getting the job, you know, the job of an actor is getting the job. It's not doing the job. It's, it's finding the work, you know, um, let me see. You know, I, I was kind of thrust into it. I was only uh, taking acting classes for maybe even a year, uh, less than a year. And uh, I, I knew this casting agent. Her name was Penny Perry. And uh, and I knew her from Schwab's. If you were, were, I don't know if you'll ever recall Schwab's Pharmacy, which was... Uh, you know, supposedly where they discovered Lana Turner and, uh, well, you know, back in the 70s when I was here, late 70s, early 80s, it's where all the actors used to hang out, you know. Okay. All the out-of-work actors would hang out there and chit-chat and have breakfast and talk about which race they're going to bet on that day. And, you know, uh, and so it was a whole community, actually, who sort of came in and out of Schwab's all day long. And I knew this casting agent, and after a few months of, of classes, she asked me if I would come in and audition for a film. And I said, uh, sure. I had no idea what I was doing, but said, sure, yeah, okay. So I went in and I auditioned, and I happened to get the part, and it was the part of Jodie Foster's boyfriend in a movie called Foxes. And uh, it was two scenes, and uh, they, you know, they hired me for the role. I was stunned thrilled and stunned and uh and it was a horrifying job because i knew i knew nothing about filmmaking or acting even really and uh you know i think the first my first scene the first day it was there were 200 extras it's supposed to be like an, an angel concert you know white snake or whatever and they had all these extras and i have to walk maybe about 40 feet and then hit a mark and say a line to Jody Foster in the middle of this big crowd. And I didn't know what a mark was. And it took me maybe 29 takes. And I put everybody on overtime and everybody was complaining. 
<laughs> and yelling at me. And I was mortified. I didn't know what the fuck I got myself into. And finally, I, I got the scene done and uh, just went home and was horrified. Horrified that I had to go back and shoot another scene in front of all these people. And uh, and then I, I went back to shoot the next scene. And the director came in and, and uh, you know, he said, oh, your scene looked great. You look great. And I said, I know you can do it and blah, blah, blah. So that scene went better. <clears throat> and then... Uh, and then right from there, I went right back to class and uh, decided I need to learn a little more about all this stuff. See, it's, it's good that you, you said you had to learn more because a lot of people would sit there and go, wow, I just got a part opposite of, you know, Jodie Foster's boyfriend, who Jodie Foster's a big star. And it's good that you actually sat there and, and were a little bit scared because it's true. If you get put on a movie set, even if you've done a background gig, you don't know what's going on. But if all of a sudden you come in and they're saying, OK, here you go, you do this. You really probably, it's probably very nerve-wracking, like you said, especially when it's your first gig. It's terrifying, especially to know how much money they're spending and that you're putting everybody on overtime and you're getting these looks because they guys have been there for 14 hours and they're staring at you because you can't hit your mark, you know? <laughs> it's, it's terrifying. So but, that, you know, also, uh, that was Jody Foster's first screen kiss. A sweet 16 kiss. She had just turned 16, and I got to give her a kiss on camera. So I'm very proud of it. No, that's that's a good, that's a great that's a great uh, thing. Now, now, now were you were you a little bit scared when you had the kiss in front of all these people? Because you know we all sit there and we all think we're macho, but then all of a sudden when you want to kiss someone and if the director says cut, I know you're gonna be like, hey, wait a second, I know how to kiss. What are you what are you doing to me? <laughs> no, I wasn't worried about that. That went pretty good. In fact, she was so sweet, man. And we sat and talked, and she was so funny. And uh, and then she told me a story about how, uh, I, I forget, she had to, like, do something with somebody. So she ate a raw onion before she, because she didn't like the guy <laughs> or whatever it was. She was really sweet. Made it easy. She made it easy. So now when you go back to class, are you feeling more confident, though, knowing that you are bookable and you did book something? Uh, no, not at all. What I really, there's so much I need to learn about this, you know. And, and uh, you know, I, I mean, absolutely, I thought, well, okay, this is great. You know, I, I might even be able to have a career doing this, you know. But it didn't occur to me to go right out and get another job. Uh, although, uh, you know, if I had an audition from this agent, I'd go out and do it. And, you know, I didn't even book anything because I think uh, I didn't quite have the confidence, you know. I mean, to me, it almost seemed like a fluke. So when do you start to audition and how does Fast Times Richmond High come up? Is that your next, that's your next movie and your IMDb credit? Was that your next big audition or how long, and how long did that movie take for you to get cast in the role? All right, well, uh, speaking of Schwab's, three years after after I did Foxes, right? Now I think it's 1981. I think we shot Foxes in 80, I mean, in uh, 1978 or 9. And my mother comes to visit, and I, and I say, what do you want to do today, Ma? She says, let's go to Schwab's. 
because, you know, it's kind of famous for her generation. So I take her to Swab's and we're having breakfast. And this guy comes in. And HBO was just getting started. It was like the first cable channel, you know. And they were showing movies. And one of the first movies they were running was Foxes. So this, I, I haven't had an agent now in three years or two years. I couldn't get anyone to handle me. You know, I was just, uh, you know, focused on my classes and stuff. And this guy walks in and he looks at me. I'm having breakfast with my mother. And he says, hey, I saw you on TV last night. You were pretty good. I said, thanks. He said, you have an agent? I said, no. He said, you want one? And I said, sure. <laughs> So uh, his name was Ray Rappa. <laughs> he was this, you know, just this one guy, and he had, uh, you know, a little office down on Melrose, and his secretary was a phone machine. And, uh, you know, so I said, okay, let's work together. And I think the third audition he sent me out on was Fast Times of Ridgemont High. Now, uh, I'm a little more confident at this point. I've been studying for a while, you know, and uh doing a couple plays and things and so I go in an audition for Fast Times and the very first audition was for Amy Heckerling and the casting person and before I walked out the door Amy looked at me and she said don't cut your hair and I said oh okay great <laughs> excellent so uh, I left thinking well I got a bit of a shot at this I didn't hear for a week, and I thought, well, okay, I guess I didn't get it. Oh, they want to see you again. So I go in, and uh, I read a couple scenes for them. Now Art Linton's in the room. He's the producer. And uh, and they say, thank you, and I leave, thinking, okay, hey, I got a shot. I don't hear for a week, thinking, okay, well, I guess I don't have it. This goes on for about seven weeks. So what's going through By your mind? By the end of seven weeks, I have gone to Amy's Brought Me to Makeup and Wardrobe. I've auditioned every scene in the script, and I've done improvs, worked with other actors. And, uh, you know, I mean, it's a real emotional uh, roller coaster ride, you know, because you're, one day you think, oh, I got a shot, and the next day it's like, oh, I guess it didn't happen, you know. So by the seventh uh, meeting, uh, I looked at Art Linson. You know, I'd, I I was in makeup, wardrobe. I'd done all the scenes, and it still looked like he wasn't convinced. And I looked and I said, you know, I I love the role. I love uh, I love the part. I think I could be really good at it. But uh, I'm not going to come back here again for you. And it was right there. I, Art Linson said, "Well, welcome aboard." And uh, and that was almost two months of auditioning. You know. Now, do you do you think if you had if you had not said that they may have just kept bringing you back? Maybe they're just testing you. I mean, it's funny. It's like you know you you get it's it's the one thing where you probably got so frustrated because you're like, oh my god, you know, just stop leading me on. Do you think they would have just kept bringing you back or what? Well, you know, you never know. They sure could have, or they could have at that point gone with their third choice. You know what I mean? Which usually. Which happens a lot, you know, the director wants one, uh, the producer wants two, and so they go with number three, you know. And uh, I think that the the big hesitation for Art Linson, I believe, uh, was that he thought I looked too old. 
And uh, so finally he gave in to that. Now, how old were you at that time? Uh, 26. And so you were playing a senior in high school. And, uh, that's I was just... playing like a, yeah, like a 17-year-old. I was 26. But everybody in the cast was much older. Judge was 26. Brian Backer was 25. You know, I think the youngest people were like 21, and that might have been Sean or, or Jennifer, you know. Well, what's weird is when you at that back then, like when we watched it, you know, I was I was in high school when it came out. We didn't, you know, you never thought that. That's one thing. I think it's now people become skeptical through the years. But then we just thought these kids are in high school and then they're dressed cool. And that's what that's what's weird. It's like now people go, oh, well, that person is that age. And it's like it doesn't make a difference because if you're believable and you're entertaining, no one's going to sit there and go, oh, God, Robert Romanus, he looks like he's 23. Well, I guess, you know, I guess if you're engaged, you're engaged, and you're not thinking of that of that stuff, really, you know. I think one thing that helps is that everybody was a little older, so, you know, it's not like one guy stuck out because he looked 10 years older than everybody else, you know. Uh, and and like I say, if you're engaged in, in whatever it is you're watching, you're not thinking of things like that, you know. You're just sort of in the moment with the film. Now, in real life at that time, did you know anybody like the moon or in your lifetime when you were younger? Did you come across anyone like that that you could actually sit there and help maybe play into the character more? Because it's a character like the cool guy and the cool threads and just, you know, has the gift for gab. Did you know people like that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, I grew up in uh, outside of Hartford, Connecticut, and uh, everybody was like that. <laughs> you know, everyone I knew. They, you know, they'd sit around playing cards and, and, you know, figuring out how to make a quick buck and, uh, you know, getting this and selling that. And, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, he, he was, I had one character, uh, one of my high school friends in mine, you know, one of my high school friends in mine, uh, and uh, so some of what I was doing really was kind of my imitation of him, although you would never know it because I'm not a great imitator. But it's my imitation of him. And, uh, you know, uh, I think, yeah, you, you know, I, I, as I played him in the film uh, as somebody who was sort of a transplant from the East Coast, maybe New Jersey, and uh, and wanted to give him that kind of, Thing that I grew up with, which was, you know, it's, it's not a surfing thing. It's kind of a hustling thing or, a, you know, we were into cars. We were into cards and cars and girls and, you know, so. Now, now, once you get on set, what is that like when it's you have a bigger part than you did on Foxes? You haven't worked for a while. You do have the, uh, you just went through this, you know, long audition process. But you're on set with a bigger part with kids you know your age you know so there's probably the camaraderie but what was it like going on set did you feel more at ease than you did before in foxes did you sit there and and was there any improv or was everything really scripted out well you know i was much more at ease because for one i had spent two months with these people auditioning you know and so i knew that what i was doing was working really well for the director amy hackling she 
she was my best audience. If I could make her laugh, then I, I, I felt really good, you know. And uh, after every take, I'd look over to see if she had a smile on her face or not. And so she was very nurturing, as opposed to the other director I worked with, uh, who, you know, intimidation was their sort of uh, motivation, you know. I mean, their, their uh, way to try and get you motivated was to, to sort of be mean about it, really. And she had a whole other tact, and, and that's... You know, that's the beauty of Amy Hackling is she sort of worked with each actor individually. So she, she gave them exactly what they needed to get the best out of them. She's a wonderful director. And uh, so, no, I was not uh, nervous in that sense. I was nervous when it came to doing like the the uh, cabana scene there. You know, that made me a little nervous. Um, but... No, you know, you, you can tell when something's working. You know, you look around, and working on a film, it's different because, you know, while everything's going on, everything's completely quiet. So you're not sure what the audience is thinking, but as soon as you say cotton, you look around, people are laughing or whatever. So you get a sense of what it's like, you know. And, uh, and I had a nice big role, so... You know, usually just as you're getting warmed up, your part's over, you know. And here, you know, you got warmed up and then you really started to to find a rhythm. And, and uh, you had a nice, I had two months to work uh, of shooting on this. So that was great to be able to, to be able to work on something for so long and get a nice rhythm going for it. Now, did it add to the experience to you because there is a lot of music revolving in that movie and you're a music fan? That must make it that much cooler to come to work because I'm sure the, the there was always music playing in it and, you know, all the bands, like you did a whole thing about Cheap Trick and, you know, those speeches and Van Halen and everything. Did that, did you like that make you a lot happier because you just, you love music? Well, you know, I, I don't know that it, I'm sure it added to everything, you know. I mean, the whole job was just a dream job. It really was, you know. There were no big egos. So everybody was, you know, just having a good time. Nobody thought this was going to be the movie it turned out to be. So we were all really just having a good time, you know. And, uh, and you know, like for like Cheap Chick and stuff like that, I, I wasn't that familiar with that band. You know, I grew up in a kind of a different time, you know. I mean, I I, I was watching, you know, I was listening to, to Stairway to Heaven. You know what I mean? That was the, my music I'd grown up, you know, or the Beatles and stuff like that. So, you know, I had to kind of go out and buy these albums and listen to them and, and uh, get kind of caught up with that, that music uh you know, but I, I loved it because uh, anything to do with music is is fun for me, you know. So, yeah, I guess it did add, add a little extra something for me. Well, maybe you could solve this question for me, Bobo, because you might know. Why is it, was it because of the rights, why is it when you tell Ratner to play, I think it's Led Zeppelin, side, either upside one or of two, whatever, and they end up playing Kashmir, which is some physical graffiti in the car. Is there any reason why that happened, you know? Well, uh, let me preface everything I say by 
it could be wrong. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Everything I wrong. But I believe that uh, it's as simple as Amy Heckerling liked cashmere better for the cut. It just seemed to flow much better for her. And that's the only reason. Now, when that movie was wrapped, it must have been a great feeling. Did, was it a hit right away, or how long did it take to catch on the fever that it got? Oh, my God. We all went to opening night in Westwood. Me and Amy Hackling and Judge Reinhold and, uh, and Brian Backer, you know, a bunch of us. And the audience, it was stunning. They laughed from the very opening to the very end. They cheered, they clapped. It was like, oh, my God. And then it just snowballed, you know, for the next how many weeks. It stayed right up there and it kept getting huge audiences and, and great uh, reviews and great word of mouth. And so, yeah, I mean, from that opening night, we knew we had something. Now, how does... But then nobody, I got to say, nobody knew we had a movie that 35 years from now people are going to be talking about or that it's going to make it into the Library of Congress, or that, you know, that they're going to re-release it in 700 theaters. You know, nobody knew that. We just thought, hey, we got a, you know, we got a nice movie, the summer movie, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It is. I think it's actually, uh, it's coming out twice this week. It's coming to the big screen. Now, would you ever sit there and go to one of those screenings just to check it out to see it holds up, or are you past that? <laughs> no. But everybody keeps calling me, hey, hey, come on, let's go see it, let's go see it. And I'm like, no, I think my head would explode. No way. Thank you. Now, how did your life change after that? Like when you're a, you're a young guy, you're living in Hollywood, you're in this hit movie, I mean, was just, was, and you were probably, you know, even though you don't like to be noticed, as you said, you had to have to have a really good time. You must have met some really cool people. Well, I sure did, you know, uh, I met a lot of great people and uh, got to go to a lot of groovy parties and, you know, but uh, finally in the end, it's like you say, you know, like I say, it's, uh, it's not my most comfortable place, you know, uh, and so, you know, for me, I really just sort of put my head right back into my work and I joined uh, another class right after Pastimes. And, uh, and went full bore into it, maybe five days a week, you know. And, uh, and I just love that. I love class because you really get to work on some fabulous pieces in class that I would never get cast as, you know, in, in, in life because, uh, of a whole host of reasons. But, uh, so, uh, you know, I really love class for that reason. And, uh, and so I put my head back into class, and and my theory was, good work will will uh, produce more work, and uh, that might have been a little naive, you know. The truth is, you really need to get out and hustle, hustle yourself as a business, uh, almost, and a brand, and uh, that's not my. Strength, really, you know. So, so, 
So now, did you think, I mean, honestly, when you look back now, I mean, what do you think made that this movie has lasted over the years? I mean, does it just resonate to people of all ages? I mean, it's one of those things... If it's if I'm flipping around and it's on, I'll still watch it. And that I know that's a lot of friends of mine when you're going through Facebook and someone will say, you know, hey, watch a Fast Times Ridgemont High. It's been a while. Iconic film. And when you look at it and it's just fun and it's, you know, I mean, what do you think? Why do you think people are still attracted to it after all these years? Well, because I think there's a lot of truth in it. And it's funny, you know, uh, but. I mean, of course, you, you probably know the story that Cameron Crowe went back to high school when he was, I think, 22 years old, uh, the writer. And he enrolled, uh, he enrolled as a senior in a high school in San Diego. And he didn't tell anybody. And uh, so he spent the year as a senior in high school hanging out with these guys and writing this book. So, you know, he told me they'd be sitting around eating pizza or something after school and someone would say, you know, hey, what you need is my five-point plan. And they'd go into this tirade and Chairman would freak out and he'd grab a nap and he'd run in the bathroom and he'd write it down. So a lot of it is, you know, right out of the bay, right out of the mouths of bays. There's a truth to it is what I'm saying. And it doesn't matter what era you're in, you know, there's the guy who's, you know, who's working, you know, working to keep his car up, you know, get a nice car, his cruising vehicle, and working for making some dough. And there's the hustler guy who's trying to make a quick buck, you know, and there's the guy who's trying to deal with, you know, relationships and sex. And so these are all universal themes that, you know, it doesn't matter what area you're in, teenagers will go through them. So that's why I think it's relatable. And... And because it's written with so much truth, you know, if you just change the the language a little bit for the time, you can see that it really just uh, works. Uh, I mean, it's something that everybody will go through at some point, you know, now, after, in high school years. After that, you started doing some TV work. What's the difference back then between working movies and TV? What's the set? Because the set seems TV seems much more... Uh, regimented and fast. And were you eat? Were you? Could you do that easily because you had had so much training? Did that make it easy for you to transition? Well, no, not necessarily. Because uh, you know, acting is acting is acting, and then there's the technical aspect about hitting marks and you know things like that. Uh, you know, I, I went on to do a soap opera for a couple of years uh, after that. That was the most intense training ground for technical aspect of acting. We would shoot 60 pages a day. On the film, if we shot three pages a day, that was a lot. On, on the soap opera, we shot 60 pages a day, and by the end of the day, it was edited with music in the can. <laughs> That's that's working on television. And then, you know, if you go to do like, uh, you know, a, a one-hour show, say, on, on television, they just move much faster. You know, they have a week to do, you know, what a film could do in three months. So it's just, it, it just goes much faster. Having worked on the soap opera, 
has made me a, a technical master. You know, I can I can hit a mark with my eyes closed and hold a knife blade at a certain angle so it will glint in the light and and you know and and do it all uh, with my eyes closed, really. So I always great training. I'm always fascinated when I talk to people who've been on soaps. It's like how much dialogue you guys have to learn. It's not like you have a bunch. It's like you get done a day and then you come back the next day. Like they say, it's like basically you get off the set. You have to go read your lines and come back the next day. That's exactly right. And that's how it was. And I'd say like, you know, at the end of the day, you'd get a new script and you might have 20 pages of dialogue. And you go home, you go over your dialogue, you get up, you go over that all day. At the end of the day, you get another script with, 30 pages of dialogue. And I'm talking about, you know, rants. I mean, where you've got monologues. And the problem with soap operas is that because they're on every day, they really have to write really fast so it lasts a long time. So they keep writing, saying the same things over and over and over again. So it really is, you know, it's a great training ground for, for memorizing, you know. Uh, that's why I really learned that the muscle is a, the memory is a muscle, and the more you use it, the stronger it gets. And you know, I mean, I could at one point pick up twenty pages of dialogue, go over it in a few hours, go to bed, get up and know it. You know, so uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's kind of uh, it's a very intense experience. Now, the one thing that's great about your career is some of the names you've had. Do you ever look back and say, as an actor, you've been blessed? Like in your soap opera, you played a guy named Speed. And then on Fame, you played Psycho. And then on Facts of Life, you played uh, Snake. I mean, how did you, like, like, what do you think when you look at the audition and it says the role Snake or Psycho? I mean, what, do you sit there and go, wait a second, I'm a normal guy, I'm a quiet guy. Why am I playing all these great name characters? That's what I think. <laughs> That's exactly what I think. Why do they think I look like a snake? You know? But, uh, yeah, it's all fun. I'll tell you, it's all fun. And uh, and uh, all those are kind of bad guys, too, except for Snake. I guess he was a nice guy. Was it, uh, snake was the facts of life. Was that his character? Yeah. No, Snake, Snake. Yeah, yeah Snake. So... So as you're acting, or now are you still playing your music at this time, or are you just too busy to be, you're just acting so much that you don't have the time to play? No, no, no. I, I'm still playing music. I have uh, I have my own band called Papa's Kitchen, and uh, we have uh, eight CDs, and we're working on our ninth one now in the studio. And uh, we go out and play once this this CD is done. We'll go out and play around Los Angeles locally. And then I play in another band, uh, 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 kind of an Americana country band. Uh, so I'm always playing music and, uh, you know, filling in for guys every once in a while. I play a lot of different instruments. So sometimes I'll go out as a drummer or a bass player or a guitar player. And, uh, but I'm always playing music and, uh, and, you know, working in, in, Film or television or theater. I just finished a play, um, and I'm getting ready to do a film in September with Meredith Baxter. Uh, so you know, I'm, I'm always I'm always looking for for you know uh, ways to play music or act. 
Well, when when have you, you know, picked up the act? I mean, the music more. My original question, I actually I met, I, I reworded it wrong. I meant to say when you were back, when you were acting in like you know the TV shows and the soaps. Did you have time to play music and 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 or when did you start kicking into playing more again? Because I know your band. I checked out your. Uh, I remember at Bob's. I think I saw you guys. When did you start playing more? And when did you start learning more? Uh, instruments was it just because you had a thirst to just play different tunes and ways of music? Yeah, you know, I never met an instrument I didn't like, and and the beauty of working in television and stuff is, you know, I, I was getting paid pretty good. So, what what I do, I go out and buy a recording studio, you know, and I go out and buy instruments and stuff like that. So I never really stopped. You know, I'd, I'd work on a show. I, I, sometimes I'd take a show just for the dough so I could go buy this, you know, uh, component for my studio, you know. Uh, it's all kind of, it all kind of, I, I think it all uh, sort of blends in together, you know. Music, to me, music is very much like acting, and acting is very much like music. And, and, uh, and so, uh, you know, at every opportunity and always, I've never not played music, you know. It's something that, the, the beauty of it for me for many years was I don't need anybody to do it. I can get up and sit at my piano or sit at the guitar and, and write or play, you know, or go out and, and hit up an open mic or something or go play some coffee house. Uh, and I don't need anyone to do it. Uh, so I've never stopped playing music, you know. Now, what do you think is, of all the instruments you play, which was the easiest to learn and which was the hardest? Well, I think, you know, uh, I don't know. I think the, the easiest, the, the easiest for me, and, and, and it's not, you know, instruments aren't easy. What they do is they take time, so... Uh, you know, whatever, however much time you put into an instrument is what you'll get out of it. And uh, my favorite instrument to play uh, is the piano because it's all right in front of you. I look down, I see every note, you know what I mean, as opposed to the guitar. Uh, the guitar I find a little harder because... Uh, you know, I just find it, uh, you know, I'm, I've been playing a lot of guitar lately. For one, I'm playing it in this country band. Uh, but for two, I'm, I'm really trying to learn uh, uh, the neck. You know what I mean? So, you know, in a piano, it's all right in front of you. In a guitar, you can't see it. So you've got to kind of uh, know where all the notes and stuff are. So find the guitar a little bit harder than the piano. The drums... I just kind of have a knack for drums, and I have a knack for bass, you know. Those two I just sort of picked up, and, and uh, they're very much in, in uh, concert with each other, too. So now, now, when you record a CD, do you play most of the parts, or is it like you and your another member of your band? How do you, how do you decide what's going to play, and do you actually produce it yourself? Because the producing aspect always it's really interests me, you know, when you sit there, and i talk talked to some producers lately, and it's just fascinating what a producer can do, and the ear they really have to have for the sound. Well, you know, for me, the, the most fun is going into the studio. Uh, I have a 
songwriting partner and a bandmate, Steve Feldman. And uh, we've been now for over 20 years playing and writing and and uh, and working together. And when we go into the studio, whoever writes the song usually produces it. I mean, we work very close together, so, uh, you know, we'll, we, you know, take uh, uh, suggestions from each other all the time. But if I write the song, then basically I get to call it. You know, if he writes the song, he gets to call it. Uh, we play most of the instruments. Uh, I play most of the instruments. Steve plays nice, nice guitar on stuff. And, uh, and then I have friends, you know, who I might bring in for a certain sound, a, a bass player who's going to bring it up right, you know, play something a little jazzy. Or uh, I got a friend, uh, Jim Shimonetti, he plays saxophone. You know, he used to play, I think, on Saturday Night Live many years ago. It's a great sax player. And, you know, I'll drive out to, take an hour to drive out to his house and I'll put down like five sax tracks for me for a hundred bucks, you know, and uh and they're just amazing, you know. So I have a I have a lot of friends who play, and uh, if it calls for it, if I can't play it, uh, I'll have someone else come in and do it. Otherwise, uh, for me, the most fun is is producing and playing the instruments and building something out of nothing. You know, I really really enjoy that. Now you said you have a songwriting partner. Do you guys do you switch on the lyrics and the sound? And where do you find your lyrics from? Because I always, you know, it's like anything, like you know, poetry and lyrics. You know, do they rhyme? Don't they rhyme? And then there's some lyrics that are great, and then just some lyrics that are like so basic, like you know, the president of the United States. You know, lump. She's lump. It's such a basic lyric, but it, it just it it catches it. You go, ah, that's a fun song. Where do you find your lyrics from? Then also your musical tones. How do you know what kind of style of music to write when you are writing? Well, you know, it's uh, it's usually comes from an, an inspiration. I mean, uh, the old adage is true. You know, it's ten percent inspiration, ninety percent perspiration. So you know, you get a little idea, uh, and it usually will come with a uh, you know some kind of riff on the guitar or the piano and a. Uh, and a lyric to go with it, something, you know, probably something you've been thinking about or dreamt about or, you know. And then uh, then you got to kind of sit down and and figure out where it's going and how to make sense of it all. My, my partner, Steve, is uh, truly a wordsmith. I mean, I, I think that's something that he, uh, he's one of those guys that, you know, if you're just jamming, he'll start, he'll just start, you know, yelling out lyrics and and they're great <laughs> you know and i don't know like where are you coming up with this stuff just out of out of your head and and he's like that me personally i i have to labor over it but music uh is the uh, it's the opposite for me music uh just flows out i can come up with 10 10 tunes a day if, uh, if it wasn't for if i didn't have to write lyrics you know so uh, together, actually, we're a good combination. Uh, almost like uh, we're on the table, he's the chair. You know what I mean? Well, how do you how do you know when a song is done? You just know, like you know, some songs you know go on longer, some songs go shorter. How do you know personally? Do you sit there and have an idea when you start coming up with the the music? Since you love doing that and you're a very strong point, do you sit there when you start jamming and saying, okay, you know what, this would probably be like a four and a half minute song, or does that all? Do you start 
larger and bring it down, or sometimes you start smaller and then make the song longer? Well, to be honest with you, I never think about that, you know? I never think, how long is this song? I, I try not to write. I mean, there's certain certain rules for pop writing, you know, and sometimes we'll, we'll write in the pop form, you know? But then a lot of times we'll just... Uh, We'll just sort of write what that you want to write, and you know, I mean, if it has an extra bar in it, oh, who cares? You know, if it, you know what I mean? It's like uh, it's more for our own pleasure than it is to like write a song that I'm going to sell to somebody, or you know. So some some of our songs are, you know, uh, extremely simple, really short, almost like ditties, and some are very epic. You know, I guess it depends on, on, uh, you know, when you're writing something. I, I'm always looking to finish it as quick as I can. <laughs> Steve, he's like Bob Dylan. He's got 42 verses for every song he writes. And so. Now, how'd you come up with the band name, Mama's Kitchen? Papa. Papa, I'm sorry, Papa's Kitchen. Papa with a P. Uh, well, you know, many years ago, about twenty something years ago, uh, we went. We met uh, at at the place where I was talking about the singing waiters. We were singing waiters together. That's where we met. And uh, some years later, we'd always been friends. Some years later, I think I was going through like a divorce or separation. I was really upset and bummed out and. And he was going through some stuff, and so we decided, you know, let's get together Tuesdays and Fridays, and we'll play some music. And it started out, uh, I think, in my kitchen. I had a little four-track recorder, and uh, we decided to do sort of a stream-of-consciousness thing where we put down a drum track, but you only got one pass at it. And then, you know, he put down some guitar, but he only gets one pass, and then a little bass, and then we go to the lyrics, and you get to you get to sing a verse, but you only get one pass. You don't get to go back and rewrite it, you know? And we did that every Tuesday and Friday, religiously, for, I mean, we still do it. But, uh, you know, after a couple of years of just fooling around, we started actually writing real songs uh, and taking it a little more seriously. And, uh, and to answer your question, it, it started in my kitchen. And I was a, a papa of three very little kids. So that might have been it. Okay. Now, another question is, well, with, with your acting, with your acting career, what kind of roles do you get called out for now? Like when you were younger, you know, you sort of played, you know, with the names and nicknames, you sort of played like a slick guy. As, as you get older, what roles are you getting called for? And what roles would you like to play? Well, let's see. I go out now for, well, in this movie next month, uh, I play a bad guy, you know, which I love. I love to play bad guys. Uh, I played, I did a Code Black, which is a TV show a, while, a little while back, and uh, there's a line in there, something about, uh, you're just a hateful old man. <laughs> <laughs> so... <laughs> That kind of hit me kind of hard. <laughs> I, I didn't even really realize it until he said it. I read the scene a hundred times, but when he said it, it kind of hit me. Old man. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I guess father roles, 
bad guys. You know, I, I take on any challenge, really. I don't have a, there's no role in particular that I say, boy, I would love to do that. But uh, I would love to, uh, would love to do a Criminal Minds. <laughs> well, we got it. I would love to be the bad guy on a Criminal Minds once. Well, that'd be awesome. Now, also, I've noticed that you've done some conventions lately. Uh, the conventions seem to be coming. They're so big right now. And the 80s stuff is coming back so, you know, so hugely. What are the conventions like when you go? I mean, I know it's funny. People a lot of times think it's just you're sitting at a table and autographing and taking pictures. Well, it has to be a long day after a while because it, it's a pretty long day. Do you like the conventions? And, and it must be great to have fans come out and take a picture with you. Well, you know, yeah, absolutely. What's not to love about it? I mean, it's uh, it, it's basically the easiest money I've ever made in my life. And, and I sit at a table and people come up and, you know, they want to talk. And, and I'm very happy to talk to them. They want to talk about fast times. I, I'm starting to see through all of these uh, how really how fast times has affected a lot of people, you know, and uh, and so I can really appreciate that. And you know, you're right; it is hard. It's a it's ten eight hours of ten hours of uh, you know smiling, shaking hands, making conversation. That gets kind of tiring. But uh, you know, so two days of that, and I'm about ready to to take a break. You know, call it a day. But uh, I'm good for about two days at a time, and uh, I'm I'm thrilled to meet people. And, uh, you know, the truth is I, I get very starstruck. And so when I see a celebrity or, you know, uh, and I, you know, make contact with them, uh, so I can really, you know, I can really appreciate it. So if I can do that for somebody else, then I'm happy to do it, you know. Who is the biggest, really who is the biggest star you've met in music or acting that you just sat there and went, oh, my God, I'm meeting. Like, for me, if I met Springsteen, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm meeting Bruce Springsteen. But is there anyone that has just blown your socks off and you're like, oh, I can't believe I've just met this person or a person who liked your character on Fast Times? Is that Who's the biggest that you've met that you've just said, wow, this is just cool? Well, I got a thumbs up from Robin Williams once. <laughs> and that really... That really just brightened my whole night, you know. Uh, and, and uh, you know, I, I mean, the truth is, uh, I, I've come across so many celebrities in, in my time, you know, and uh, and a lot of them are fans, and, and I, I still can't believe it. And, uh, and every one of them makes me nervous. Even the little, you know, I mean, if I saw Flo from the fucking... <laughs> insurance commercial i would be i would be speechless you know i mean it's like i don't know why <laughs> but uh that's true <laughs> well man that that's all, that's awesome Robert. Insurance. well i, I want to thank you yeah. for, i want to thank you for coming on now where can people get your music at where can we find your music papa's kitchen cds are you on itunes where are you at where can they go if they want to go buy your tunes yeah you can find us on iTunes and uh, uh, also CD Baby, uh, but iTunes has it all. It's P O P P A S Kitchen, and uh, 
And we also have a website, www.papaskitchen.com. And do you list your live events? That'll tell you all about the band. And they'll list, they'll list live events when you guys Yeah, we play. list our live. Yeah. Right, well, man, I want to thank you for taking the time, Robert. It's good. I know I we I ran it a few times at the old Bob's Espresso, and you're always very, very strong person in presenting. You know, letting performers get up and do what they wanted, and I think you were very appreciated for that. I mean, whether it be me or Rich Shiner or even Bill Burr, you know, so you make a difference. And you're someone who loves the arts. You can tell, loves music, loves comedy, and you you enhance that. You know, you enhance our our being. So I want to thank you for that. And so uh, thank you for coming on, Bob. All right, you take care, man. So follow him, people. Go to his website, uh, get the band's albums. Follow me on Twitter. It's at Cooper Talk. It's at Cooper Talk. Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can email me at coopertalk.net. I'm Steve Cooper for Walk My Mind. Have a great week.